Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of St. Luke's in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses, and under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you now to join us for a message of hope. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife and knew her not until she had born a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Throughout the season of Advent, we encounter the message of Christmas. We hear the message of good news in shopping venues, social media posts, and movies. In the story, A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens used the spirits to collectively share a message of how Ebenezer Scrooge could live a joy-filled, meaningful life. In Scripture, angelic messengers spoke to Zechariah, Joseph, Mary, the shepherds, and wise men of good news of a great joy that had come. Listen for the message of joy this Christmas as we proclaim. God bless you, everyone. One of the most famous Christmas stories ever is the story of a Christmas carol. It was written in 1843. Charles Dickens. Turned out that um, he was one of the most prolific writers in England during the 1800s, writing 15 different novels. So many famous novels, everything from David Copperfield to Oliver Twist to um, A Tale of Two Cities to Great Expectations. I mean, it just went on and on. All these novels that kids still have to read in high school to this day. And yet he's probably most known for having written A Christmas Carol. It's not actually a novel. It's not long enough to be considered a novel. It's a novella. It's a small novel. But it's a novel that really has such a powerful message that it has been enjoyed for the last 179 years. For 179 years, it now has been impacting the way you and I tend to look at Christmas the things we think about at Christmas because of this story. However, the fascinating thing is, I would wager that most of us here have never read A Christmas Carol. We all know the story. 
We can all talk about Scrooge and the Cratchits and Tiny Tim and the Ghost of Christmas Past, but you probably haven't ever just read the story, A Christmas Carol. And that's why this year we've done something different, as Reverend Wendy Lambert was telling you, with our Advent devotional. We have printed A Christmas Carol. It is public domain. And here is the entire book broken into different sections each week so that you can kind of be reading the story and the devotionals piece by piece all the way through the season of Advent till you come to Christmas. Now I have to confess, I was one of those who had never read all the story, but I knew that if I was going to preach this sermon series, I better. And so I have now read A Christmas Carol from our daily devotional going right on through. And the fun thing was you begin to see and hear so many things that you never catch out of a movie, let's say. I think that's where most of us have our embracing and our understanding of A Christmas Carol is from the movies. Because believe it or not, A Christmas Carol has been made into a movie 24 different times. For the last 110 years since we started to get movies, it has been made 24 different times. What story do you know that has been retold in a movie that many different ways? Now, I didn't want to go to all 24, but there are several that I picked out that I thought were significant, that I thought we would remember that was going on. I, I had this list and I shared it with several people and they immediately said, Yo, you forgot this one, you didn't include... I didn't include all of them. I'm just going to give you a sampling of 10 of these different kinds that we have. I mean, 1910, Thomas Edison, A Christmas Carol. It was about six minutes long, one scene, but that's before real movies were even being made. 1938, Reginald Owens in A Christmas Carol. That was now in a talking picture that you had a Christmas movie being made. 1951, Alistair Sim in Scrooge. Now, many knew that one. 1962 is a big one. Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. Now, if Mr. Magoo's got a Christmas Carol, 1983, Mickey's Christmas Carol. 1984, A Christmas Carol with George C. Scott. Many have seen that one. 1988, Scrooged with Bill Murray. One of my personal favorites. 1992, The Muppet Christmas Carol. 2022, Spirited. Ryan Reynolds, Will Ferrell, Octavia Spencer. It came out just a couple of weeks ago. It's not in movie theaters. You have to watch it online. But I tell you, I, I've watched it, and it is not a retelling of A Christmas Carol. It's using the characters of A Christmas Carol and using the story to tell a story. It's a musical, and I thought it was great. I found it inspirational, can highly recommend it to you. I just thought it was fascinating that 179 years after A Christmas Carol first came out, we're still making it today into movies because the message is so true and touches every person's heart. It was from Charles Dickens when he wrote this. It took him only six weeks. Six weeks to write this story that continues to resonate for 179 years. The reason it took such a short time 
was that it was basically his story. It was a passion about a life that he had experienced. And so when he started to write, it was easy for it to come. You see, he was born in 1812, born into a, a loving family, a close family. But like so many families in England in that day, they were poor. You see, in those days in England, there was a real division of the classes. You had the wealthy, those who owned the factories, those who were the entrepreneurs, and the wealthy kept getting richer and richer, but the masses were poor. They were the ones who worked in the factories and in the coal mines. There were no child labor laws. You had so many children working in the factories. It's one of the few jobs women were allowed to do. The people were paid so poorly. And the people who worked there had no hope that things would change. It was so hard. Well, it turned out that Charles Dickens' father was a pay clerk in the Navy. It was a steady job, but it did not pay well. The family was poor. But they loved one another. They were close, a family of faith. But then through circumstances that happen in life, they fell behind on payments. And in the end, they were in debt. And so Charles Dickens' father was sent to debtor's prison. And I've always thought that's an interesting approach. Someone's in debt, they owe you money, so we're going to stick them in prison. How does that help you collect the money? But that's what they did in England in those days, and Dickens' father wound up in debtor's prison. And so they took Charles Dickens out of school, and they put him to work in a factory. It was a blacking factory. That is, he made shoe polish. Everybody wore black shoes, so you had to make black shoe polish. That's what he did in order to help bring money home for the family. He found himself now working 10, 12 hours a day, six days a week, and he made so little. So as a 12-year-old boy, he was now experiencing the struggles of the social strata in England as he looked at all the children working in this factory, all the women who were working in the factory who really had no hope. The future was bleak. And how do you make it in that kind of a circumstance? How do you keep up your spirit? Well, he had done it for about six months when a member of their family, an extended member of their family died, left a will, and left them in the, the estate. And with that little bit of money, they were able to get Charles Dickens' father out of prison and then he was able to come home from the factory and go back to school. But he never forgot that experience. What that was like and what he saw. And that's what would affect the books that he would write. Oliver Twist, David Copperfield, Great Expectations. You know, all because of what had happened to him as a kid and the way he was able to see the world. And 20 years after he had the experience was when he decided to write A Christmas Carol. It was easy to write. Ebenezer Scrooge, well, he represented the wealthy, the rich, the people who owned the factories and the mines, the people who were getting richer and richer. That was Ebenezer Scrooge, the people who didn't see the needs of the masses. 
Then you had the Cratchit family. It was his family. People who loved each other and cared about each other. But they were poor and barely making it by. Tiny Tim, the vulnerable, the innocent, the children who, who needed somebody to care and somebody to help and who really had no hope. It was easy to write. And what did Charles Dickens believe was the answer? Well, it started by having faith, trusting that God would help them in all circumstances, and then believing they needed to help each other. And that's why he had the character of a tiny Tim, a little child who, who was so vulnerable and so innocent and just so honest, who still had a cheerful spirit, even though he did not know what the future would hold. You had tiny Tim who could pray on a Christmas day, God bless us, everyone. This morning, I want to start an Advent sermon series entitled, God Bless Us, Everyone. That's what I want us to be looking at as we go through the season of Advent, is coming to discover that God does seek to bless us. It's why He comes in the form of a baby in Bethlehem. He comes to reveal His love for us. And He gives us a call to love one another. He wants to lead us into this life of a meaningful love for one another. And I want us to take time to be able to look at that and to understand those emotions that Dickens felt. A fear of the future. Anger. That sense of hopelessness. They're exactly the feelings that Joseph was feeling in his life in our scripture lesson this morning. For here he was so in love with Mary and hoping to get married in the months to come and looking forward to the future. And then he received the news that she was pregnant. She was expecting a child. And now he was so hurt and angry. The future suddenly was so turned upside down, so uncertain. He was so afraid. And that's why the angel came to him and said, Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. It was learning to trust in God's constant love of us, his children, even in the most difficult of circumstances, to be able to pray, God bless us, everyone. It's what I want us to look at this morning as we begin the sermon series. And, and I want us just to start off with two, I think, important thoughts. First, Advent is a time of preparation. And in order to prepare, it really begins with each of us being willing to examine our values. What's important to us? And not just what we say, what do we do? Do we let the world revolve around us? Is it all about me? Or do I see the others in the world around me who are people of need? Whether it's in my own home, a next door neighbor, members of my family of faith, strangers in Florida or the other side of the world. Am I able to see beyond just me 
What are my values? What do I see I'm being called to do and be? That's what was plaguing Charles Dickens when he decided to write A Christmas Carol. This is a social commentary on England of his day and what he saw taking place. So when he decided to work on this, <clears throat> back in 1843, he happened to be walking through a cemetery. And as he walked to the cemetery, he saw a headstone and it said, Ebenezer Lennox Scroogey. And then beneath the epitaph, a mean man. Wow. He stopped and thought, what do you have to do for someone to say, yep, there is Ebenezer Lennox Scroogey, a mean man. What kind of life did you live? So he thought about that <coughs> for a while. What did that mean? Well, he came back later and read the tombstone again. And when he did, he realized he had misread it. It was Ebenezer Lennox Scroogey, a meal, M-E-A-L, man. He was someone who sold grain. But he'd already been thinking, what does an Ebenezer Scrooge mean man really mean? And so he decided to create this character who would be a mean man. Now, as I said, I had never read the story before, and so I'm reading, and, and I came across a passage that explained to me what a mean man would be like, for Dickens said, Scrooge said, if I could work my will, every idiot who goes about with Merry Christmas on his lips should be boiled in his own pudding and buried with a stake of holly through his heart. Now that's a mean man. <laughs> boiled in his own pudding with a stake of holly through his heart. That's what I think about you who run around saying Merry Christmas to one another. No, he wanted to create the character that would represent all the people who thought only of themselves and could care less or see the other people. And then Joseph Marley, his partner, comes to see him. And Joseph Marley comes to see Scrooge, not in order to scare him, but to help him. To think about the chains that you're putting on your own life because of the way that you act. You're making your own chains, he said. Look at what you're doing by the way you live. Now, think about it for a moment. Scrooge is actually living a life of the values of the day that he lived, this Victorian period. He was very industrious, working hard. He was honest. He followed the laws. He was very thrifty. He was very successful. He's making a lot of money. I mean, none of those things are bad. Those were the values of the Victorian period, what you should be doing. Working hard, making money, being thrifty, be honest. He was all of those things. And yet, he was missing life. That was the whole point. You have now forgotten your real values. You've forgotten what is most important that will lead you to life. And that's why Jacob Marley comes and Scrooge is completely confused and he winds up saying to him, but you were always a good businessman, Jacob. And Jacob Marley responds, business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. 
charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my business. At this time of year, I suffer most. Why did I walk through the crowds of fellow beings with my eyes turned down and never raise them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Were there no poor homes to which its light would have conducted me? Mankind should have been my business. I never looked up to see the star that led the wise men to a poor abode. Where would it have led me? To stop and look, what are your values? What really does matter? Is it just me and mine and what I want and what I can get? Or do I look for something that is more? It was the angel who came to Joseph and said, Joseph, I want to talk to you about what matters here. I'm going to ask you to stay married to Mary, to marry her. There will be sacrifice involved. But is your value, Joseph, to love her, to protect the baby, to take care of them? It's not about you and your hurt feelings or your embarrassment or your fear of what other people will say. I want to keep you from making a mistake here. What matters? Are you willing to say it's loving Mary, loving the baby, protecting them? What's going to matter to you most? Jacob Marley did not come to scare Scrooge. He came to help him, to clarify his values. The angel comes not to scare Joseph but to help him, to clarify what matters the most. What are your values? That's what needs to happen to us during this Advent season as we prepare for Christmas. I came across a great story about a lady named Virginia Says. She lives in San Diego. She's a real estate agent. And she tells this wonderful story of how one day she had a showing and like all real estate agents, you're always getting calls. And so when she was through with her showing, she can't listen to her messages. And she had a message, and it didn't take her long to realize this message was a wrong number. And it was from a lady named um, Lucy Crutchfield. She lived in a different state. And she listened to it and was able to kind of figure out the conversation. Apparently, Lucy was calling her daughter, who lived in San Diego, a single mom, a couple of kids, and they were poor. The daughter must have called Lucy and said, can you send some money? We've run out of food. We don't have anything to eat. Can you tide us over till next payday? And so Lucy was calling back to her daughter and saying, I only have enough money for the mortgage. I've already gotten a money order. This was on Wednesday before Thanksgiving. <coughs> and she said, I will go back to the bank on Friday and I will change it back into money and I'll get another money order 
and I will send you some money on Friday. And you could tell the angst of caring for her daughter and her grandchildren and the struggles now of knowing she couldn't make the mortgage payment and all the agony that was involved within and yet what she was going to do. And so Virginia listened to this message and then made the decision to call her back. Have you ever called anybody back when they leave a message wrong number? And she called her back and just to say, I know you thought you were calling your daughter. You actually got hold of me. And, and I just tell you, what, what I wanted to suggest was, why don't you take care of the mortgage and I'll take care of the food for your daughter? And Lucy was so overwhelmed. She goes, you talk about a Christmas miracle. You call and get a wrong number and you find out it's a Christmas angel? She said, give me your daughter's phone number. She gave her the number. She, she called the daughter and said, so what is it you need? She was so taken back, she said, you know, some milk and eggs, we can make it by. We don't have to have much to get to payday. It's a few days away. Well, it's on Thanksgiving morning. So Thanksgiving morning, Virginia gets her 14-year-old son and says, come on, we're going to the grocery store. I want you to help me think about what would teenagers like. And so they go to the store, but they buy a turkey and dressing and, and all the fixings and, and things for the kids and a ton of food, not just for a feast on that day, but enough to get them to payday and beyond. And they went and delivered all this food to the family. And Virginia would say, there is nothing that I have ever done that got me more in the Christmas spirit than reaching out to take care of this family. And she was asked, why did you do it? And she looked shocked and said, well, it's the right thing to do. We're supposed to take care of each other. Everyone would have done the same thing. Would you have done the same thing? Advent is a time of preparation, a time when we're supposed to be examining our values, looking at how we are living. That's what Charles Dickens wanted to ask the people of England. What are your values? What's important to you? Do you see anybody besides yourself? The angel came not to judge Joseph or to scare Joseph, but to say, I want you to choose love. To choose Mary and to choose a baby as your most important thing. And so secondly, when you and I are preparing ourselves here in, in Advent, it really is about remembering we are loved by God. That's why there's a baby born in Bethlehem. A baby born in Bethlehem is an example to say God loves you. God loves us. A baby comes, an expression of God's love. It's about having the faith that God wants to lead us into a meaningful life of love. Do you believe that God wants to lead you 
into a meaningful life of love. If we are opening and listening, if we evaluate our values, do you believe God will lead you into a meaningful life of love? That's what the angel was doing with Joseph, coming to Joseph. And I love the way it says, and when he awoke from his dream, he took Mary to be his wife. It's like Joseph had to look at his life and examine, and he heard the angel, and when he awoke, he chose to do something different. He was going to divorce her, but instead, he was going to choose to love her. It's what happened with Scrooge. The ghost of the Christmas past and present and future would come to Scrooge to help him look at his life. What are your values? How are you living? Have you not looked beyond yourself? And when he goes through all of that, he comes to the end of the journey. And if you remember how it's going to end, he goes to a cemetery and the angel of the Christmas future has shown him what his legacy will be. And he takes him to the graveyard and lets him see his headstone. You're going to die. And there he begins to die, only to wake up in bed very much alive. And when he wakes up in Christmas morning alive in bed and having examined his values, Scrooge now wants to do something different. It's a new beginning. That you and I go through Advent so we can have a new beginning because of what we have learned as we've gone through this time of preparation. As I told you, I watched the movie Spirited, and I, I really did enjoy it. A lot, of, a lot of humor and laughter, singing, dancing, a very different kind of a, a Christmas movie. But if you watch the movie, you will see that it is with Will Ferrell, who plays the part of Christmas present, and then you also um, wind up having uh, the, the future of, of them going to wind up being... Um, Ryan Reynolds, who is playing the man who is really the part of Scrooge. And Scrooge is really that character for 2020, Ryan Reynolds. And Ryan Reynolds has now been with the ghost of Christmas future, and he sees what's going to happen. Because of some of the things he has done, a boy is going to be hurt. And now having looked at his values, he doesn't want that to happen. And so it is, he gets with a Christmas present, and they decide to try to go to where they know it's going to happen to stop this event so that a boy will not be hurt. And they're trying to get there as quick as they can, and they get on an elevator because they have to go up top of this building. And as they're going up the top of the building, they're standing there talking. And the ghost of Christmas present, Will Ferrell, he's reflecting back, and he goes, you know, I remember my first haunt I remember my first save. It was almost 200 years ago. There was this little boy. What was his name? Clint looks over and says, Tiny Tim. No, 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 no. He was a sweet kid. He only had one crutch. I think his name was Little Larry. No, it was Tiny Tim. No, 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 no. He was such a nice kid, really sick. I think his name was, I think his name was Micro Mike. No, maybe it was 
super small Steve. I'm telling you, it's tiny Tim. And as I'm watching this, I'm laughing because I've done so much work on this Christmas carol and this sermon. I know Charles Dickens had a hard time naming that character. That the little boy who was sick in the book originally was named Little Fred. Charles Dickens named him Little Fred because he loved his brothers and one was named Alfred and one was named Frederick so he wanted to honor his brothers and so he called this character Little Fred. But that just didn't feel right. And so in the end he decided to change it and he went with Tiny Mick. And so he wrote for a while with Tiny Mick being this hero in the story but he didn't feel like that was right either. And so he finally came back with Tiny Tim. And the name Tiny Tim seemed to encapsulate that feeling of innocence, vulnerability, someone who needed another person to care and to help, someone in the midst of an uncertain future and the powerlessness to change things still lived in a spirit of joy, a spirit of love, a spirit of hope. And it's why at Christmas morning, tiny Tim would be able to pray, God bless us, everyone. And he knew it would be so. It's the message Charles Dickens wanted us to get out of the story. You have to trust God and to know that He wants to bless you and lead you into a meaningful life of love. You can begin again. And that's why Dickens would end the book saying, And it was always said of Scrooge that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed the knowledge, may that be truly said of us and all of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen. You've been listening to the sermon podcast of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. We are one church with multiple campuses. 
Learn all about St. Luke's different services and programs on our website, stlukesokc.org. We trust you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week.